Welcome to another episode of the Drama New South Wales podcast. Today I interview Dr. Rachel Jacobs, who is doing amazing work over at the University of Western Sydney. In particular, she looks at the way in which drama and the arts can be used to teach students who fall under the category of EALD. By having this discussion with her, I myself was personally challenged to think about the ways in which we use drama to help others. I think we have a lot of preconceived ideas about who drama is for, how it can be used, and the way in which it's taught. I encourage everyone to listen to this episode and have a think about what it would look like to be more inclusive, in particular with our students who have English as a new language that they're learning. So sit back, relax, and learn a thing or two from Rachel Jacobs. Rachel Jacobs is a lecturer in creative arts education at Western Sydney University and a former teacher of dance, drama and music. She has facilitated arts projects in community settings in Australia and internationally, including in refugee communities, in prisons and in women's refuges. Rachel engages in research on creativity across the curriculum, ways to create anti-racist classrooms and language acquisition through the arts. She's an activist, a freelance writer, aerial artist, dancer and choreographer. She was a founding member of the community activism group Teachers for Refugees and runs her own intercultural dance company. Welcome to Drama New South Wales podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now we have you on here today because there was a professional learning session that you are going to run earlier this year that because of COVID and because of the year that we're in has not gone ahead in person. So we wanted to make sure we had a discussion now about uh, that professional learning. And that was all to do with EALD in the classroom. Um, Did you want to explain just first off what EALD stands for? Yeah, very good. And firstly, you know, I've got my sad face on because we're not all together playing and having amazing times in that professional learning. Damn you, COVID. Um, But I'm really glad that we were able to continue the conversation through this podcast. And hopefully at some stage in the future, we can all play together again. Um, So EALD is the acronym that we use for are people who are learning English as an additional language or dialect. So some of the other terms that uh, maybe some of our teachers like myself who are a bit older might be familiar (laughs) with is ESL, English as a second language or NESB, non-English speaking background or another term is CALD, culturally and linguistically diverse. So we've moved away from using ESL and NESB now because they center English uh, as the dominant language and it others people who don't have that. So I, I grew up as, um, I'm an Indian Australian, so I grew up in an ESL class, whereas English was one of three languages spoken in my house. Uh, and for some people it might be their fifth language. Um, and to describe someone as a non-person is quite offensive. So EALD is a much better uh, phrase to use to describe learners who are learning English. Yeah, great. That's a really good context as well because I know that it changed to EALD um, at work, for example, but I wasn't given that contextual information. So that's really good to know. I will definitely try and stop using ESL now. Yeah, yeah. We, and we all slip up from time to time, but it's sort of just 
um, good to know. I, I definitely know that I grew up during the NESB era and it irked me every time I was called an NESB. It mm. was, um, you know, um, and also we all know now that acronyms are dehumanising anyway. So that even having the EALD students is quite problematic. And so I guess uh, to make an effort to call people by a cultural grouping or by their names, of course, is always preferable. But I find this acronym to be so much better than some of the older ones we used to use. Mm. So you do some absolutely amazing work, Rachel. Do you want to just tell everybody on the podcast a little bit about the work that you do in EALD and how you link it to drama, like why we have you on talking about drama today? Yeah, uh, so that's a really good question because um, thank you for saying it's amazing work. I love the work that I do and I also want to acknowledge the amazing work that's been done by so many people who uh, have trodden this path before me and laid down really great foundations. So we have a lot of experts in drama and EALD work. Here in Australia we have Madonna Stinson who's in Queensland who's done a lot of tremendous work. Erica Piazzoli is based in Ireland and I work with Erica. She's one of the world authorities in drama and language acquisition. Joe Winston is one of the heroes of our fields who trod this path. Very recently, Man Chung, who lives in Shanghai, has been a really great voice in um, drama and literacy um, and Gomez as well. So there's, I've just cited a whole lot of people you could go to if you wanted to do more reading. So I've worked on a number of projects. One of them I'm working with Erica at the moment in Ireland and that is working with refugee students and that we're looking at acquiring language through lots of artistic mediums and one of those is through drama and through storytelling. Mm. I'm working on a project in Tasmania that uses multimodal ways of communicating so that's drama as well as media as well as community learning to aid international students acquisition of language. I work with a great organisation in Sydney called Lost in Books, they're based in Fairfield and they I'm helping to evaluate their creative programs and their storytelling programs that take place in multiple languages. So there's so many exciting places where this work is happening. Uh, it's tried and tested and it's going really, really beautifully. Um, I do think it is a common misconception in the drama community, um, drama education community in particular, that uh, it's just too difficult uh, to teach students if they don't have a firm grasp of the English language or are in the process of learning it. Um, and so I love that you're doing work that kind of is showing exactly the very opposite of that um, and how drama can be used to actually do amazing things with students who are EALD. Mm, absolutely. I think it's really important. It's key to that inclusive classroom that drama is for everyone and we have to be really genuine about that and, and find ways to open the door uh, and it's not for us, it's not to fill up our classrooms or our drama rooms, um, it is always for them. So these pedagogies can hopefully find pathways for all of your students to engage beautifully. Yeah, excellent. So let's kind of get into it. How would a teacher who is working with a class that does have many EALD students go about working with them? And do you have any specific examples of what they could do? 
Yeah, that's first thing is that I would say if you're in a high, uh, high EALD context is fantastic. You're so lucky. Uh, the majority of my teaching uh, years were spent in classrooms which were very linguistically and culturally diverse. I now teach at Western Sydney, so English is uh, not the first language of most of my students. In fact, it's the third or fourth or even more. Uh, and I think it's a gift because when you have that many languages in the classroom, how enriched are you by culture and by language, mm. by contextual understanding? Uh, so the first thing is I see it very much not as a uh, from a deficit, um, but very, very much as an advantage, having that many different perspectives. Um, and my first step is to value the student's own language. So I use a process that's called translanguaging, which means that you teach in more than one language um, concurrently. Now, I don't need to speak their language, um, and I probably don't speak the languages of my students, but I'm able to value it. So that means asking them what terms they would use, finding a similar term in English or a similar vocabulary, inviting them to share phrases and words, uh, inviting them to enact stories in their own language to begin with if they want to. So the research perspective that I come from doesn't ask people to stop speaking their language in the classroom. You invite people to expand their vocabulary and expand mm. their linguistic knowledge. So the research that I have engaged in has found that people are more likely to acquire a new language language faster if they're encouraged to speak their own language as well. So literacy is developed alongside each other. Mm. So that's probably the first thing. Um, the other thing is all of those things that we do in drama that are gestural, they aid language development. So using activities like anything but a scarf or anything but a chair to improve vocabulary are really great. Storytelling in the classroom is wonderful. Anything to do with emotions such as me, you, emotion. Mm. Uh, any co collaboration on still images that you can do, freeze frames, is quite useful. Captioning is going to work really, really well. Of course, any kind of process drama that allows students to dive inside a story is immediately going to improve their linguistic ability. And anything where you can give them sentence starters, so small scripts and things like that, blank scripts is something I use very often, and asking them to apply their own emotions or motivations on top of that is ways to improve their language ability, but in a really engaging way. And I'll talk about engagement a little bit later. Mm. Just, just quickly, uh, with with all of those suggestions, the, it sounds to me as, and you kind of touched on this earlier, that this is going to be beneficial for a whole class anyway, whether they are EALD students or not. Um, and so that it would be quite easy, I'm imagining then, to ensure that our programming and our um, planning of lessons are such that we are including these kinds of different things like gesturing and having uh, participants use their own language and things like that in the classroom without it being a obvious, okay, here's our EALD activity that we're doing. That's exactly right. So when I use these strategies, I use them quite seamlessly throughout the curriculum. Um, and by the way, this applies to primary and secondary as well. I hope to include some different examples from both sectors and maybe some even for early learning as well. Um, yeah. So I agree that uh, firstly, the strategies I'm talking about are also good for people 
who speak English but might have developing literacy strategies. Um, and so those students who are also native speakers of English can benefit from this because they're understanding contextual literacy as well. I am finding increasingly as uh, we're becoming more and more technologically engaged and everyone's on their phones and things like that, a lot of my students are looking for right answers. They're looking for immediate answers and they're not stopping to pause and find contextual meanings and lots of different interpretations on the one piece of art or the one scene or something like that. So these kind of strategies do certainly help as well. Okay, what are the benefits of drama for EALD students? Well, the, probably the biggest thing is that we all know as a result of being so engaged in drama, how much of language is actually not spoken. So there was a researcher, Albert Morabian, and he actually broke it down and said 55% of communication is through body language. 38% is through tone of voice, and the other 7% is the actual words themselves. Now, his research has actually been questioned, uh, so I don't think it's gospel truth or anything like that. But regardless of the numbers, the actual words that we say are not all that language, it, are not all there is to language. So I always say that drama is like learning a sentence and a paragraph and learning to communicate contextually rather than just learning vocabulary words. Uh, and so drama is contextual. Uh, so when I work with partners on programs, and I might work in refugee or migrant communities, we say to people, have you done any drama before? And they say, yes, we have. And we say, well, that's fantastic. What have you done? And they say, well, we role play making an appointment at the doctor's office or we role play ordering a cup of coffee at the coffee shop. I say, okay, that's a good start. Definitely, definitely a good start. Uh, but in those cases, a student will learn a set of phrases. And by the way, that is really, really important to the functioning in society, to know how to make an appointment, to know how to call um, the doctor's office or to know how to order a cup of coffee or to know how to communicate the supermarket. That is crucial. Mm. But we want to go further than that. We want to go further than that to those contextual meanings, the deeper meanings, and often that's accessed through story, through conversation, through script, through dialogue, through gesture. And one of the big benefits of drama is that when you're working in this way through the imaginative lens, it's really enjoyable. So a lot of the research that I have says that learning a language is hard. Now, I know that from my own experience trying to learn French, that I am often very stressed in the classroom thinking, oh, what is that phrase? And my pronunciation is all wrong. Learning through drama, I've noticed that everybody is smiling. There's a lot of laughing. There is a lot of eye contact. And I have noticed that people are more likely to have a go. They are more likely mm. to take a risk and get it wrong because that stress um, and that pressure to get it right has been dissipated through the mood of the drama classroom. Mm, yeah, it's so true. And even just the example you gave about role play, um, there's so much more to that situation that could be explored through drama 
that is actually empowering people with the English language rather than just giving them the little phrase or a situation that they can get by with, which is great, as you say. But it's it sounds to me like essentially the benefits of drama is that it's that further empowerment of understanding exactly um, the context and the relationships and the mood and the emotion that surrounds all of those phrases that they've learnt. Oh, Sonia, I love that you purposefully use the word empowerment because that's that's exactly what it is. Is through doing contextual work, you're allowing people to have an identity. They are no longer the EALD student or the yeah. learner. They are the person who is angry at the dentist, or they're the person yeah. who is um, excited at the job interview, or. Um, they're the person who's able to take control of a situation, even if we're in role. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing all of this. I think automatically I, I think about, you know, all, all the students at my school who are EALD and I think, why on earth am I not uh, doing drama with them? <laughs> and as they learn that, you know, they're going into English classes and learning how to, uh, you know, write letters and do different things and, Drama would be so useful to them in these contexts. It would be, but you know that's um, you know that's not something that you need to take on individually or by yourself. You know, don't forget, like a lot of things, all of the structures that we're faced with yeah. are often set up, you know, to to minimise creative work and to minimise collaboration and minimise imagination. So, uh, so you're absolutely not alone, and you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. But it, it's one of those moments where you go, this is great work. Why isn't it happening? Why isn't it? Oh, it's, absolutely. You know, one of the things uh, when I watch work like this, not just my own work, is you say this would just be so good for every mm. learner who mm. needs a, a literacy boost or, or who wants to learn a language. Um, in fact, I've been Googling how to do my French classes through drama. That doesn't exist yet, but maybe someone's willing to take that up. <laughs> All right. Um, how can the work that you're speaking about combat marginalisation, racism and disadvantage are big claims, but you do have some ideas in regards to that? Yeah, I think this is actually underlying that. So this is not just about setting somebody up to speak English and sending them on their way. Uh, this is about centering diversity in our classroom. Uh, this is about valuing the learner and what they bring to the classroom as well. Um, and it's not about trying to make them like us or assimilate people into this model student that we want to see. Um, it's about having schools that truly value uh, the, the incredible array of languages and cultures that we have from around the world that we're so lucky to have here, um, rather than to, you know, mould people into one particular generic thing. So. Firstly, the work that I do in drama tries to negate the supremacy of the English language. And when we're learning, we always say that English is not the best language, it's just a language. And the students know multiple languages, often they're more linguistically competent than the teacher, and this is a really wonderful way to recognise that. So to be yeah. in a classroom that values all languages, all learners, values their cultural knowledge, I think, is the key and values the way they collaborate both in their cultural grouping and between cultural groups, I think is huge. 
the, the collaborative aspect of drama, we all know that drama is inherently collaborative, allows people to mix and learn and collaborate outside of their social grouping or their cultural grouping and things like that. So it promotes intercultural um, understanding. And as I mentioned before, it promotes multiple identities. So um, a student is not the refugee student, which is quite demeaning. The student is not the EALD learner. They are the student that has this really vibrant identity that they're able to express in drama if they wish or or not. Mm. However, I just want to put a caveat on that, is that all of this work in itself does not, does not work to combat marginalisation, racism and disadvantage. So that in itself uh, mm. cannot do that. I'm an advocate of anti-racist pedagogies, which is a whole other podcast, <laughs> a whole other kettle of fish, uh, that the work to combat racism needs to be quite explicit and it is based on the structural seeding of power and that is quite separate to the work that we do in drama and EAL learning. Mm. Mm. I, I think one of the big things that we talk about with drama education is ensuring that the work that we do in our classrooms is a safe space and so even though there are much larger structures and power systems pedagogies and so forth that are feeding into this I guess on one level uh, on our own classroom in our own little community that we actually have control and power over we can be working to utilize these things so that we are trying to at very least create a safe environment for all of our students which would hopefully combat marginalization racism and disadvantage to some extent even if it's just for the 45 minutes they might be with us Absolutely. You know, the, th the theatre of small changes might be where we start by working. And I've worked in classes where um, some of the students have told me we've done this rich translanguaging work. And some of the students have told me that this is the only space in the school where I'm allowed to speak my language. And I was hor absolutely horrified because the mm -hmm. denial of language has been used in the past. And we have to acknowledge it's been used in Australia as a genocidal act, the extinguishing of stopping people's speaking their language is actually quite a racist thing to do. So mm -hmm. if we can create that safe space, and it's more about more than just you're allowed to speak your language, but if we are able to create that safe space, it can also become an example for the rest of the school or an example mm -hmm. uh, to our teaching colleagues of different ways that we could be more accepting. Mm. I know uh, Dr. Carol Carter at Newcastle University. One of her one of her roles there is leading a bridging course for students who have come to the university who are EALD or who have some other kind of need for there to be some kind of bridging with their language skills into um, the universe, the mainstream university. And she uses a lot of drama in that. And the feedback she is constantly, or the anecdotes that she's constantly telling is about students uh, being incredibly fearful at first <laughs> when she introduces the idea of using drama, uh, but then inc incredibly kind of uh, safe is the second step. And then thirdly, uh, you know, joyful and empowered in being able to see that through the use of drama activities, they have been able to be their own people. They've been respected for being their own people with their own ideas and they are not being kind of told to change in order to get into the system, uh, but they're just giving more, 
given more kind of resources in, in order to work with the system? So firstly, Carol Carter is a total boss uh, <laughs> and is totally amazing. I love the work that she does at Newcastle and yeah, her work, what I love is it centers around not trying to change people. Yeah. Um, they're saying you are enough, there is, you are not broken and I'm not here to fix you. Um, but it's working to give them additional tools that they can use to flourish. Um, and I think that's pretty much exactly the approach that we need to take with our EALD learners as well. All right, so let's just say somebody um, was listening to this podcast and they, and they thought to themselves, I want to do this kind of work. What do you think would be the first step that they should take? And then what kind of resources are out there for them to help uh, themselves read more about it and develop resources and develop actual experiences in drama for EALD students? Fantastic. Well, the first thing I'll say is that I'm always here for a chat. Uh, so if anybody wants to get in contact, just don't hesitate because uh, this is something I'm pretty passionate about seeing it um, spread and flourish and be successful. So don't hesitate to get in touch if you need any help. But my first piece of advice would be to start small. And that comes from my own experience. So I grew up, uh, I'm an Indian Australian woman, and I grew up from an Indian background where drama pedagogy heard of. And in my school days, I might not have recognized that as learning. Uh, and so it would have been very, very unfamiliar and very confronting for me to learn in that way. And that doesn't mean it's not beneficial, but if a teacher didn't meet me where I was at, I'm pretty sure that that as a pedagogy would have failed, no matter how successful, no matter how much research we had behind us. So uh, when I start teaching these programs, a lot of people say, oh, I'm surprised. That didn't even look like a drama lesson. And that's because I generally start quite small and might start with one or two strategies. By the end of the program, we are all doing quite active drama uh, that you would recognize as a drama class. Uh, but I do tend to quite start quite small and gentle. I tend to meet the the students where they are at. I do have a giant list of resources, Sonia, so if it's okay, I'll go through them and I'll also send you some links to those and I'll go through them quite slowly to explain why they're really good. Yeah, great. So one of my, excellent, one of my favourite go-tos is a book by Erica Piazzoli. So Erica is multilingual herself and as I said, one of the world of authorities in language acquisition and drama. And so her book, Embodying Language in Action, The Artistry of Process Drama in Second Language Education, is really fantastic because it goes through why process drama is such a wonderful tool for language acquisition. And there are actual activities in there that I have used. Uh, I think they're tried and tested, so I really do recommend that. Now, while we're talking process drama, I will mention Although it's not a specific EALD resource, the School Drama Book by Ewing and Saunders is one that I highly recommend and I imagine that lots and lots of Drama New South Wales members would be familiar with that as a text and would be familiar with Sydney Theatre Company's School Drama Program, their flagship education program pioneered by Professor Robin Ewing of Sydney University. So the School Drama Book has a number of process dramas in there and although they're not specifically targeted for EALD learning. They are literacy based and a lot of the activities could be 
adapted. Mm. And while we're there, I want to acknowledge the Connected program, which is one of Sydney Theatre Company's programs. And it's a program that aids language development in migrant and refugee communities, and that's based here in Sydney. So I was a teaching artist on that program for around three years. I'm not involved at the moment, uh, but I do want to credit that in recent times with developing a lot of my knowledge in the area. So you can look up that program. It's um, really amazing. Go to their website and you can have a look at some of their videos and also read a little bit about their program. I will recognise a couple of other different resources that I really recommend. So Lost in Books, if you do happen to be in Sydney, get to know Lost in Books, which is a social enterprise bookshop in based in Fairfield, based in the hub of multicultural Sydney. And it is so much more than a bookshop. Firstly, it has multilingual texts from all around the world and it is a creative hub. There's drama, there's storytelling, there's music time, there's um, homework club, there's a support group for refugee women, there's storytelling factories and um, there's just so many programs there that you should mm. get in touch with them and they can help you with resources for your multilingual classroom, which is really great. I want to give a shout out to some colleagues of mine who run um, a international theatre collaboration called the Pretzel Theatre Collaboration. And Pretzel Theatre has drama teachers in all different parts of the world and they collaborate using technology. And I think it's a really fantastic way to aid cultural conversations as well. They're actually mm. looking for more classrooms to participate in Pretzel Theatre. So Good. if you're interested, get in touch with me and I can pass it on to you. If you feel like having a collaborator who is on the other side of the globe, and I think there's so much potential for language um, work to be done richly and beautifully there. How is that for a giant list of places to get started? Uh, uh, drama teachers, as you are uh, well aware, I'm sure, absolutely love the good old list of resources <laughs> um so that is a that is a fabulous list i'm particularly interested to hear about that bookshop in fairfield because that sounds as though it's not only doing amazing things itself but it's full of things that you could go and kind of have a look at or get in touch with them and you know hear their perspective on it as well of what exactly might work with the particular cultures or um, backgrounds that you have in your own classroom that's exactly right. And if once you go in there, you'll find a section, you know, for, for so many different cultures. Here's the Cambodian books. Mm. You know. um, here's all the books in Arabic from all the different parts of Arabic-speaking um, sections of the world. Um, I think it is really vital that we engage with people um, in different parts uh, of the state and in the country as well. Um, being at Western Sydney University, I'm a huge advocate for Western Sydney um, and want to champion. We have, by the way, we have so many um, drama teachers who are members there who are often reaching out for resources and things like that. So a place like Lost in Books is somewhere I'd really recommend mm, as well. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to mention or talk about with EALD and drama? Well, I don't want to be too much of a negative Nancy, but I do also have a small list of things to avoid. So right, while, that's good. <laughs> while I've also, you know, hopefully given some good tips and I really hope have 
given people a little bit of empowerment to walk down the road of using their drama skills with EALD learners. Um, I also just want to give some cautions as well for a few, here's, we've done some do's, so here's some don'ts <laughs> that I recommend. So firstly, I don't recommend using accents in the classroom uh, because look, we're all teachers. We know how students get into mimicking each other and how that can be um, disempowering and borderline racist for some people. So it's something that I stamp on quite early is that we're going to take we're going to appreciate each other's language and um, we're not going to make that the accents a bit of a thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing that I avoid is the telling of personal stories unless it's volunteered by a student. Sometimes you might be working in the imaginative realm and it brings up things from people's own experience and that is one of the beauties of drama. But I personally don't believe we should go poking into people's personal trauma. Uh, migrants and refugee students are more than just their experience as a migrant or a refugee. Um, so they are whole people with uh, lives and loves and wishes and hopes and things mm. like that. Uh, and so to characterise them uh, as, can you please tell me your trauma story? Is, can be really disempowering and also the majority of us are not therapists so it's actually not safe work as well. If mm -hmm. those things come up and if somebody wants to volunteer to tell their story or if somebody would like to do that as a way of working through that trauma that is completely other different story um, that's separate for this but it is not something um, that I recommend. And I recommend that you see feedback often from the students that after you try a strategy or after you've tried a handful of strategies, maybe at the end of week two, can you, you can say to them, now tell me something that you remembered from class. Tell me a new word that you learnt. Tell me a new phrase. Tell me a character that you remember from this story. Um, it can be used as formative assessment, but I continually seek feedback. And I found out with one group they absolutely hated doing hot seating. And I didn't know that. <laughs> I, uh, I was just completely blank to that, that hot seating. They were all like, oh, we're doing hot seating again. I was like, okay, that strategy does not work for you. Yeah. So we will move that along to something else. And then I found out another group really loved mapping, really loved putting their ideas on paper before they enacted them and I thought okay well that is something that we will do more of so I check in with the students quite often mm. to see how they're going. Mm. Which I guess on the one hand is very like of course we should check in with our students um, but I think we often get into the mindset where we fear the feedback especially I guess if you're in schools that are constantly you know giving you feedback or wanting to say do this or do that it can feel relentless but the very people we should be hearing from is our students and um, I think in particular to new work when we're doing new work it's really important to kind of be open that as teachers we try new things and they don't always work out. So what's your feedback on it? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And look, I um, have to admit that there was, a, there was a very long time that I was reluctant to seek feedback um, from the students because I thought, I'm, I'm the trauma teacher. They probably don't understand this the way that I do. Yeah. And it was only when I really opened myself to that to tell me about it. And often students will, as we know, will express themselves in different and really strange ways. So I once had a student say, I don't like any of this. 
because it forces me to try speaking English. And in the rest of mm. my other classes, I'm able to fly under the radar. I'm able to stay silent. As long as I'm well behaved, I don't have to try. But here I have to try. And I thought, well, I, I don't, don't want class to be a traumatizing experience for you, but you are out of your comfort zone and you are trying. Mm. And we had to talk about it and then about, you know, how proud I was of that student for trying and recognized it was hard. Mm. Um, and I said, but do you recognize that though this is hard, this is beneficial for you? And we eventually got to, a, oh, yeah, this is, this is good learning. So Yeah, it's that confrontational nature of drama, I guess, in many ways, yeah. where it's like there, you, there has to be a slight vulnerability there in order to kind of explore imagined worlds through, uh, through performance. Um, uh, I think that you just absolutely nailed it. Uh, when I was working with adults, uh, there was an adult who came to the class and he said, I need a space to be vulnerable. And I thought that has stayed with me forever because mm. I think when we talk about migrants and refugees and education, we always talk about resilience. We always talk about the extremes. Either they're so resilient or they're so vulnerable. Yeah. And you can't be all of those things all the time. If you're 100% resilient, um, then nothing, you're not actually feeling anything deeply. If you're 100% vulnerable, you're not able to carry on. There needs to be some kind of blend of those two and I think they're both really important in a safe classroom and that has stayed with me forever that he mm. said I need a place to be vulnerable and I was um, very pleased that the drama classroom could provide that space. Mm. Wow um, thank you so much for sharing your expertise your wisdom Absolutely. and in particular your passion for this. I know myself I'm the kind of drama teacher who uh, all it takes is one good conversation with a passionate drama teacher about their ideas and I'm immediately sold on it. <laughs> um, so there's definitely a need for me to heed your first piece of advice, which is to go slow. Um, but also I think, um, and I would like to think those listening to the podcast have been incredibly inspired by this in order to think about what we can do for EALD students. In, in just using our fantastic subject and kind of opening it up to not be so rigid or so um, kind of closed in who's accepted in it and who works within that field. So thank you so much for doing that in this time. And thank you to you and Drama New South Wales for opening the door to that conversation as well. I think this is really important. I think it's part of our decolonisation as an association. It's part of us creating a more inclusive environment as well. Definitely. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Another podcast from Drama New South Wales. I hope you got as much from this podcast as I did. Speaking to Rachel, as I said at the beginning, really did confront me and make me think about the way in which I approach teaching the students of mine who are learning English or struggling with their literacy. There's so much we can gain from thinking through these things and changing up our practice. All the recommendations that Rachel made will be included in the show notes and you can access this through clicking on the show notes in the options for each of the podcasts. Thank you for listening again and we look forward to bringing you even more podcasts in the future.